KYW Original Podcasts. For more stories about the coronavirus pandemic in Philadelphia, subscribe to KYW In-Depth on the Radio.com app or wherever you listen to podcasts. The coronavirus pandemic from KYW In-Depth. I'm Matt Leon. So this will be the third and final episode in this little run here we put together of looking at how the the moment we're living in, the pandemic, how it's going to change things or possibly could change things on a smaller day-to-day kind of human level. Uh, In our first episode, we talked with Megan Pierce, who is a assistant professor of marketing at LaSalle University. Then we spoke with Heidi Rose, who's a professor and the chair of the communication department at Villanova University. And here in this third and final episode, we're going to talk with Kathy Chambliss from Ursinus College. She's a professor of psychology, and we'll see where she takes us as far as maybe some things to look for or some things she think might happen. So we've talked a lot about the COVID-19 pandemic and how it could change things on a big scale, you know, politics, economics, stuff like that. But could you see our society changing in smaller ways when it comes to kind of everyday life for, for, for most people, human interaction, stuff like that? Do you think this this will change things? Well, I think, I mean, generally people do tend to return to baseline. So a lot is expected to go back to normal. But judging from Asia's response to the previous SARS outbreak, um, I think we can expect some changes. For instance, you know, Taiwan has been routinely conducting temperature scans at airports and wearing masks is, is really common there. And I think those practices could easily kind of be adopted here. Uh, coming to work sick uh, is going to look really bad, I think, going forward. It's not going to be a sign that you're committed and tough. Uh, skipping flu shots is also not going to be cool. Um, at work, I'm a hugger generally, but I bet that will change. And I think handshakes may come back, but I think only after we have a vaccine. Until then, I think we're going to wave maybe and wink. Um, some of our fears are likely to persist because phobic and OCD potential is really hardwired by our DNA because it's kind of adaptive. Our brains easily learn about new dangers and avoid those dangers. And now virtually all other people, even beloved grandchildren, are seen as dangerous. Uh, being close to others suddenly feels bad. And unfortunately, that's, that's going to be there for a while, I think. For many of us, this pandemic period has proven that we can work from home. It's also proven we don't want to work from home. <laughs> I mean, I, I really miss contact with my students, for example. Although the response is different, maybe, for introverts and extroverts, many have shockingly confronted their need for routine and structure. Uh, it's really often more satisfying to box parts of your day. When you go to a destination, check in with others, complete tasks, tie a bow around it, and return home, that routine provides closure and a sense of accomplishment, a sense of job well done. And without that, it's really easy for people to flounder. Um, Some people can create such boxes for themselves in other ways, but it takes conscious effort. Uh, When you work from home, the risk is that the work spills across all seven days and creeps later and later into the night. 
even when you're not working, tasks are always hanging there, which weighs heavily on a lot of people's minds. Um, but for those who can figure out how to turn work off at home, its appeal is immense, and I think there's no going back. Now we've seen that it can function. There's no more excuses to not allow it. And I think, you know, for many people, a mix is best, maybe a couple of days in the office and free working from home. So I'm pretty certain that employees are going to press for greater flexibility. Um, another thing I've thought about is that COVID-19, you know, has placed health front and center. It's absolutely reordered our priorities. Uh, and that could have a lot of beneficial effects. Committing more resources to healthcare preparedness and protection of the healthcare workers we all depend upon is obviously vital. Hopefully, watching smokers die from COVID-19 at higher rates may change people's choices. While we are all correctly horrified that COVID-19 might kill as many as 200,000 in the U.S., the fact is smoking kills more than twice that every year. And so maybe we'll put an end to that. Another thing is I think some people have found that with TV, you can really get too much of a good thing. (laughs) And, And in a way, being in a situation where we finally exhausted what we thought was our bottomless appetite for TV has been a good thing because it's opened up time for hobbies that we put on hold, like music and gardening and painting. And, and ironically, time to get to know our neighbors now that we can't get closer to them than six feet. Since our access to friends and family and coworkers is down, suddenly the strangers we encounter on long walks seem very important, more valuable. We smile. We ask how they're doing and we ask if they need anything which to me kind of ties to the most important shift that just might come out of all of this. And that is greater unity. And in a way, I feel like we needed this virus. The coronavirus is the invading alien of science fiction that unifies humanity. It's us versus it. (laughs) Humans care and we compete. And this shifts the balance to care over compete. Our country has grown so divided and intolerant But suddenly working together is job one. And much to our surprise, our much maligned government is actually getting some things right. And thanks to tech, we've kind of got a sense that we may have got this. The system is still largely working. There are starting to be glimmers of hope, signs of success, that what we're doing will help to get us through this. And as we succeed, I hope we don't lose the sense of community that this weird period of social distancing has so ironically created And it's just funny. I mean, who would ask that forced separation would end up bringing us together? And I think in some ways it really has. That's a a great point. Do you think there's a certain segment of the population that will swear off group events forever, like going to a concert or going to a game, that this will just be so jarring that that those are just not options for them anymore? I think that's a great question. I mean, there have always been more introverted and more extroverted people. And the more introverted among us have always viewed those kinds of gatherings uh, with ambivalence to begin with. And I think that type of person is going to see this as a welcome opportunity that the the correct and appropriate and responsible thing to do is to cut way back on those types of activities. And similarly, things like travel. I mean, there are people that embrace and just you know, relish travel and others kind of go along because travel is supposed to be on your bucket list. But I think this is really going to change that. I think people are going to feel that they may want to take 
cruises off their bucket list from this point going forward, which is something they might have always wanted to do, but it may just give them enough uh, of a nudge in, in the direction that they were already kind of inclined to follow. One of the things we were talking about here in the office, like when it comes to, you know, especially in our society, we've become a going out to restaurants is kind of an event people, you know, foodies and stuff like that. Could you see when this is all over that all of a sudden that instead of going out to a sit down restaurant, takeout becomes the default. People get used to it, become more comfortable with it. And could we see a shift in that dynamic? You think? Well, I think, you know, on the one hand, the timing of this virus was so fortuitous because, you know, thanks to, you know, Amazon Prime and Teapod, uh, we we all were in a position to really get through this journey uh, pretty comfortably if we were fortunate enough to have access to, to all that kind of uh, takeout opportunity. So I think for a segment of the population, this served as an introduction to the ease with which we can access great food remotely. Uh, and I think, you know, a lot of people who've had those experiences will continue to do that, uh, maybe at the expense of actually going out in public. But on the other hand, I think having something withdrawn increases its value. And so when we regain the freedom to go out and have public experiences and be part of the larger community, I think we're going to be grateful and we're going to embrace that with probably more enthusiasm than we had before. So I, th- I don't think going out to eat is going to become a thing of the past. I really don't. I think people are probably going to be doing both more takeout and really appreciating all the restaurants that survived this ordeal. Is there like a, an outside-the-box thing that you've thought of that could be kind of a, a ramification of all this, uh, either positive or negative, but something that's really not on the radar that five, ten years from now will go, wow, you know, that 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 the pandemic, the response to it, it really changed X, Y, and Z. Uh, I'm thinking maybe, maybe people will realize nobody really needs haircuts. No, I'm kidding. Um, (laughs) um, I mean, I, I, I think the, probably, I mean, one of the biggest changes is in some respects, some people got what they always dreamed of as a result of this pandemic. What they always had dreamed of is the opportunity to stay at home, spend the day in their pajamas, kind of do things on their own timetable, maybe stay at home with their young children. And I think that realizing that there were some negatives associated with this dream that they always had probably going to lead to far greater appreciation of some of the things that we used to take for granted. Um, I think, uh, I mean, in a way that seems like kind of a little thing, but I think it, it can be a huge transformation of consciousness to really be given this chance to take stock of what makes you happy and to revisit your priorities and then kind of re-enter the world with a, a, a clearer sense that maybe a lot of the things that you always thought you did because other people were forcing you to do them, actually, if given the choice, that's how you wanted to do things anyway. 
So people, I think, are going to own their lives <laughs> a bit more than they might have before. And it's interesting, and I go back to this, when I've heard many people in documentaries or in conversation and stuff talk about grandparents, great-grandparents that went through the Great Depression and how mm-hmm. that changed their behavior with regards to they, even when they were flush with money, they didn't like to spend money because it was so burned in them what that experience was like. Now, I'm not saying this is going to have the ramifications of that, but could you see what I'm getting at is, do you, could you see people getting into the habit of stockpiling more things because of going through this and, and the concern that, oh, the, the supply chain could break down and, and I, I never want to be without? Could you see a certain segment of the, of the population kind of having that hardwired into them? Well, I'm going to be a little facetious and say that I'm pretty certain that home builders will start including a toilet paper closet <laughs> in every new home. <laughs> yeah, I mean, there. I think there will be some quirky things where people, as a result of this experience, do probably engage in, you know, a little bit of hoarding. But, I mean, to me, the marvelous lesson of the experience that we've had, at least so far, is how well the supply chains have held up. I think there have always been a lot of people that really had a lot of doubt that our system, you know, really could handle this kind of a stress And I think the answer to your question really is going to end up depending on how this all turns out. If, in fact, it turns out that the experts' warning that we needed to flatten the curve was totally correct, and if it turns out that we collectively did things that really did help to flatten the curve, and if it turns out that maybe after a couple of waves of this thing, We've got it under control with a vaccine and really efficient widespread testing. I think there actually may be more optimism going forward than panic. And I guess I'm an optimist, so I'm hoping that as a result of this kind of test of us and test of our system, we're going to actually, you know, approach the future with greater confidence. Now, of course, that's totally different. If I'm wrong, and if, in fact, all goes to hell. But like I said, I'm an optimist. That's it for this episode of KYW In-Depth Coronavirus. For more stories about the coronavirus pandemic here in the Philadelphia area, or if you want to know how what you see or hear on the news is going to change your own life or your own routine, then subscribe to the KYW In-Depth podcast. Search for KYW In-Depth on the Radio.com app, on Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. My name is Matt Leon, and we'll have another episode out soon.